This podcast is shareable. This show is part of the Shareable Podcast Network. To learn more about joining and to see all of our shareable shows, go to shareable.fm. Hey, what's up? It's Jeff. And I'm Caroline. We're your hosts of Shareable, the podcast about people and technology and the impact that those two forces have on our lives and careers. If you're a new subscriber, we want to thank you for subscribing. And if you're an existing subscriber, welcome back. We love you. And if you haven't subscribed yet, what are you waiting for? Get on it. Now, without further ado, let's get to the episode. Caroline, I had an incredible idea the other night, and I have to tell you about it. Tell me about it. I set up a phone number so that our audience can call in and tell us all about the ways that people and technology have changed their lives. That's awesome. I know. It's great. And they could also tell us what they like and don't like about the show. So I'm going to give them the number. Hopefully, they're ready for it. 551-25-SHARE. I hope they call in. 551-25-SHARE? That's it. How else can our listeners get involved? That is a great question, and I'm super glad you asked about it. I set up a private Facebook group exclusively for subscribers where they can get access to our guests, all of our goofy outtakes, and even special events. Wow, that sounds awesome, but how can they get in? Another great question, Caroline. Just subscribe to our email list. That's so easy. So easy. Welcome back to Shareable. It's me, Jeff Gibbard, your host. Uh, Caroline can't be with me today because she is cray-cray busy on all sorts of stuff. So the sad part about that is that she's missing a conversation with my BFF. I brought back the man, the myth, the legend, the man with the most amazing hair in the business, Mike Ganino. What up? What is up? Thank you. I love that we're actually, uh, we get to see each other so we can see each other's wonderful hair today. Yeah. I, I, I basically brought your picture into my barber and was like this. This is what I want you to do with my head. Uh, it's oh, not quite the same, but I think I, I have a pretty slick haircut now. Yeah, you're you're rocking the do. I love it. We uh, we look like a boy band. We're similar but different. Ah, that's true. I would be the bad boy. I think. <laughs> I want to be the like. I want to be the the. Well, I guess I would be the gay one. <laughs> that's I, what I would be. I would be the Lance Bass. I guess so. Uh, would Would that make me the the Justin Timberlake that like goes on does his own solo thing one day? Yes, that's exactly how I think of you. Whenever I think of you, I say, you know what. He is just like JT. Yeah, I, I think so too. Humorous, yeah. uh, talented, dashing yeah. good looks, all the things yeah. together. Yeah. I was telling a friend that I was coming on your show and, and she said, oh, tell me about him. And I said, basically go to justintimberlake.com and that is my my buddy. She's like, oh, wow, you're on Justin Timberlake's podcast? You're like, no, you're missing the, the metaphor here. <laughs> yeah, she, she was really excited and then didn't realize so. Yeah, that's cool. Well, I'm really super duper glad to have you back on the show because uh, our last time that we spoke, you were working on something super cool. And now you have completed that super cool thing, uh, which is your book, uh, Company Culture for Dummies. I, you know, it's crazy. Yeah, I did. I completed that thing. It's a, it's a, it's a brick of a book too. It's 377 pages and I still can't believe that I did it, but I did and it's done and people can have it. You know, those of us on the outside are not at all surprised that you were able to do such a thing. You have lots oh. of thoughts. Uh, and not only that, but I, I think um, I, I was fortunate enough to kind of follow some of your progress along the way. You would post little updates and I found it quite inspiring. And, and it also made me see that like, wow, you were actually committed to the process. Writing a book is like giving birth. 
You know, what's funny is I, I had for like three years thought of it. I was, I was like an elephant. I was pregnant for three years. Is that, are elephants pregnant for three years? I don't We're know. We're going to have to look that up. Uh, yeah. Shareable listeners, please uh, do not hold that factually accountable. Yeah, this is not National Geographic and I am clearly not a scientist, but, uh, you know, for, for like three years, I had this idea of a book or a couple of books and nothing ever happened with them. And so, you know, what it was for me was having a contract where there was an editor and a legally binding agreement that I was going to produce pages that's what it finally took to get it done because I just, you know, what I was trying to do it on my own, I found a million other things to do. And so once I, once I had the contract and it was like, Hey, you owe us X amount of pages every month for, for a few months, then it was like, okay, I, I got to do this. or they're going to, or that, or I got to run away to Mexico. I feel like I have to install some sort of a system for myself like that because I got this idea for a book. I still have the idea for the book. I've written a pretty decent amount for it. I love the idea. I want to do it. The first day that I sat down to write, I wrote 15,000 words, all at a clip, just boom, crushed it, right? 15,000? 15,000, 15,000 15, words. And then that was, uh, uh, I believe it was not last February, but the prior February. And I am currently sitting at 18,500 words. So like to give you an idea <laughs> of how my process works, it's like blitzes. Uh, so I'm not there yet, but one day. One day, maybe I, I, just, I need a contract. You know, we should we should create some sort of a contract for me, an accountability buddy. Yeah. See, I, see, for me, I don't think that would have worked if somebody said like, like if you had said like, hey, dude, give me five thousand bucks, and if you don't give me pages, then I'm going to keep the five thousand bucks. I think it would have been like, enjoy your European vacation, dude. <laughs> you know? So I don't know. There was something about I really like that. Given it back to you anyway. I would have been like, ah, oh, come on, Mike, I can't. <laughs> You. Yeah. You know what else? You were talking about following along on social media. I think the social media thing was also part of it for me of, okay, I'm putting this thing out there and I'm saying I'm writing and I'm doing this. And then all of these friends of mine are going to be like, weren't you, weren't you writing a book last year? Like whatever yeah. happened to that thing? So uh, that was, I think the social media was less for bragging rights and more for, okay, my friends are going to say, uh, didn't you, weren't you supposed to do a thing? Yeah. Well, thankfully, uh, no one's called me out yet on the fact that I had my 15,000 words of lovable leader last or two, two Februarys ago. It's sort of like uh, Instagram models showcasing, uh, you know, their abs, the progress of their, their fitness. So, um, but let, I want to talk a little bit about the book because I think it's, um, and, and, and to the shareable listeners, this is, you know, the, the purpose of bringing Mike on was not to give you a book report, but, uh, it, the, I think that the concept of the reason why the book would be written in the first place is super effing interesting. And I think we should go into it. So company culture for dummies, why do dummies even need to know about this? Why do dummies need to know about it? Why, why is there a book for dummies? Is it, I mean, is it, shouldn't it be obvious or is it only, it, it, why for dummies? Yeah. So, you know, the big thing is when I, when I, when I started thinking about the book, when they came to me and said, Hey, we think you're the guy that can do this, uh, you know, a very practical, approachable how-to book. Cause the, the four dummies brand is not about theory. It's not about saying, Hey, culture matters. And here's the science of culture. And you should really think about it. It's like, you have to write chapters that say here, friend, go do this thing. Mm-hmm. And so they came to me because it's kind of, you know, I don't know. That's how I present myself is like, Hey, here's an idea. Now here's what you go do. I love I love energizing people and I love giving them super practical stuff to do because otherwise I think it's like you get them inspired AF and then they're just out there in the world not knowing what to do. And so in my keynotes and my training and in my coaching, that's what I do for people to say, okay, let's get really clear. And then what is it that you're going to do? Uh, because I think that so often we get stuck in, in theory land. And so it was really cool to write this book because it allowed me to really put 
here's what to go do. And, you know, I think in the world of culture, there's a lot of great books and there's a lot of great organizational psychologists who understand how groups interact and things like that. And so I, I didn't need to write that book. I couldn't write that book. You know, I'm a, I'm a college dropout who became an actor and then found my way into being a hospitality and tech industry executive. So I couldn't do the science book. I, and I was like, am I going to sit down and go read a ton of like academic stuff I don't understand? Or am I going to sit down and say, hey, here's what I've learned from hiring thousands and thousands of employees, opening over a hundred restaurants, building a, a tech brand on the people side from you know, quadruple growth. Let me just go write down what I saw. And so when I think about, there's either those academic books on culture, or there are these books that are very like uh, over-indexed on mission, vision, values, uh, which are important. And of course, I have, I have two chapters, one on mission, vision, and one on values, and that's it. Because I think that culture too often is thought to believe the job of HR. And I think it's thought to be about mission, vision, values, snacks, ping pong tables, and stock options. And for me, I realize that it's largely about communication, that it's largely about relationships. And no matter where you sit in the organization, you impact the culture. Like the way you walk into the building impacts culture. And so I wanted to write a book for those folks. Uh, a book that could be for everybody, not just the HR folks in the executive suite. And, uh, and they let me do it. So I, I think this is a really fascinating point that we should dig a little deeper into because when I, I, I work with companies on their culture, and even still when I hear culture, I do think of things like that, like the slides, the snack, <laughs> the, you know, the ping pong tables. Like even here, like one of the things when we talk about our culture, those are things that come up in the conversation. Like we have a ping pong table and we actually use it. You know, all of those sort of things come up. If, if that's not... I mean, that obviously, I think that's part of culture, but you're saying that that's not necessarily the important part of culture, or it's not the starting point. There's something bigger there. So your definition is really much more practical than I think what we commonly understand culture to be. So can you summarize what, what you mean when you say it's about relationships and, and conversations, things like that, not so much about mission, visions, values, and kind of the more fluffy uh, stuff? What, what yeah. is culture in your opinion? So, so all those fluffy things do the, the mission, vision values do matter. Like it is important to like throw them out there, have them. Um, but what's more important is that we kind of consistently create stories around them. You know, a lot of times when I'll go work with a company and I say, Hey, let's go, let's go uncover the stories inside of your culture. You know, I approach storytelling less from a, like, let's tell a story to the marketplace uh, so they could buy our stuff and more about like, well, the people inside the company are telling stories. Let's go listen to them. Cause then we could figure out what's going on with the culture. And one of the things that that comes from that is a lot of times when I, when I go in and work with an organization, I say, let me, let me see your, your, you know, orientation, or let me see how you talk about stuff. Uh, come to one of your all hands meetings. They'll talk about values. And the one story they tell about, you know, the value they have is five years old because ain't nobody lived that value for five years. That's a problem. And so for me, when I think about culture, like imagine that you and I go on a trip, right? And so uh, you live in Philadelphia. I live in Los Angeles. Those two cities have their own culture. Living in Philadelphia is very different than LA. Uh, there's you're you're in the in the taping of this right now. The studio audience can't see, but you're wearing a button-up shirt, and I'm in a t-shirt with sunlight behind me. And yes, I this think is not normal. I'm usually in a t-shirt, just it's like true. It's true. I've seen the Instagram. You're very cash. So so there's just you know there's all these different cultures of what we do and how we do it. And so the 
if you and I went on a trip and we went to say Italy, right? And maybe we go to Starbucks in the US. So we go to Starbucks and we know there's like a way you order and how it works. If you and I went to Rome and we went to like the hot coffee shop there, we would recognize that they were serving coffee. Like it'd be like, okay, culturally, I get that this is coffee, but there's a whole other system there. It's like, wait a second, they, they, uh, you know, you just rush up to the counter and you kind of throw your money down and they give you a little espresso cup and then you shoot it or sip it really quick and then you get out of there. You don't hang around. And so that's culture. Culture is like, what is that story? How do we do stuff? And what I think we get obsessed with is culture is the type of cup they have in the coffee shop. Uh, sure, kind of. Um, but if they had those same cups at Starbucks, would it be the same? No. The same as like in a, in a, in a, you know, a tech, uh, a small tech business or a startup where it's like, oh, they've got, they've got licorice and uh, cold brew coffee on tap. Well, so does the business down the street. So does that mean the culture is the same? No, it's all the other stuff. And so those things are helpful. But if, if you have all the perks, right, you have all the benefits and all the perks, all the sprinkles on the cupcake, if you will. But you and I can't interact. Every time I go to a meeting and we sit down, uh, this is a big one that I, I watch for. And this is going to make everybody listening be like, oh my God, we do that. When you go to a meeting and no one talks before the meeting begins, something's up. Like if there's no banter, it should feel like Kathy Lee and Hoda in the morning when a meeting starts of like, okay, it's time to come to order, everybody chill out. But if everyone is silent and not speaking, and then all of a sudden the meeting starts and they look up and kind of say like, oh, hello, everybody. I didn't realize you were here. There's something going on there. That's culture. More than the wallpaper, more than the other stuff, the relationships we have, the, the story, the collective story of who we are and how we do things and what, what happens in this place, that's really the main thing of culture. And then all the other stuff is sprinkles on top. Yeah, no, I, I'm 100% with you. I'm picturing in my head all the meetings I've sat in where I see people just sitting on their phones before the meeting begins, not interacting with one another at all. And, and I'm, I'm such a social person. I'm usually the one that's like, you know, jabbing at people and like trying to get conversation moving. There was a, a guest we had on our show uh, a little while back, uh, Patty Azzarello, who talked a lot about uh, in, in her career where she would, at the beginning of meetings, she would have people talk about funny things that happened to them in their life or like tell a joke or things like that. And she got people laughing because she also found that when people were laughing, they found themselves more engaged in the meeting. So it's definitely something that, um, that, that resonates with me. The other thing that you said that I think is really interesting about the storytelling, I just listened to um, Seth Godin has a podcast called Akimbo, which if you haven't listened to it yet, it's freaking awesome. Mm. He has one called It's Not About the Chocolate. And he talks all about culture from this perspective of storytelling, which I really like as a concept. Um, so I think the, um, the, the final point I'll make to kind of connect these is that Netflix released a culture deck, uh, which I'm sure you've seen. And I think one of the most profound things that they ever did there, which is I, I kind of think where what, what you're getting at is that if your values aren't exhibited in the be in behaviors, if we don't define what the behaviors are that make up those values, we're not going to have the stories to tell about those values. They're just going to be these words that hang on our wall as opposed to the things that we do. Does that, does that resonate? Is that sort of the, the kind of approach that you take to it that you have to really look at how people are actually interacting, behaving, and communicating versus what you aspire to be? Yeah, and in the in uh, company culture for dummies in the book, the section on values actually says like organizing the values is like a baby step. What you really have to do is go in and say, okay, because we value um, you know hospitality first, 
What does that actually mean we do? What are the specific things that I'm going to watch you and hold you accountable for doing? And the same with me. Um, and, and I even go in and there's a chapter on inclusivity and diversity. And I talk about like, you can have all the diversity statements you want and you can invite all the people to the table. But when we sit down, if someone doesn't call out somebody for bad behavior, then you're not inclusive. If, if you and I are in a meeting and there's six of us in there and you hear me mansplain something that, that, a, that a woman in the room said, someone in that room needs to call me out and be like, wait a second, I think that's what she was just saying. Like, is that what you were just saying? And if we don't do that action, then all the statements in the world and all the commitments mean nothing without a, a very specific agreement. And I always call, you know, their behaviors or agreements. How do we agree to treat each other? And I think if, whether you're, whether you're a team of three people or a huge organization like Pepsi or something, that is what I would focus on is because we are here together, what are, what are the agreements we've made with each other? And if you, you go back to that, that, to that uh, you and me on a, on a bro trip to Italy thing again. This is sounding like a great idea we should start planning. This is it. See, if, I had, if only I had uh, given you $5,000 to hold me accountable for writing the book, we'd have a slush fund. Um, <laughs> Sadly, I've, uh, sadly, when you write a book, they don't give you $5,000. Uh, <laughs> I've, uh, I, I think that if we were in Italy, we would understand there are certain agreements, right? And it's like, well, it's okay to treat each other this way there, but it's not here, right? Like in the U S we're known for being super smiley. And, and while it's really weird because like a lot of times with what's going on in the world, we don't think of ourselves as super kind with each other, yeah. but like they think Americans are like overly saccharine sweet when you go to Europe a lot. Um, and when you go to certain countries, it's like, whoa, these people are so rude. They're pushing each other and shoving. And, you know, I remember the first time I took a Ryanair flight, uh, which is the super cheap, like super than Southwest airlines in Europe. And it's like, everyone is like running to the plane. They like run out on the tarmac onto the plane and they just like lift a rope and everyone chases. Cause you take whatever seat you want. And that to me was so weird, but guess what? It's the agreement that group has made with each other. So no one was bothered for it. We need those agreements at work. That is uh, shocking. <laughs> well, you're, oh, you're was- up. Um, uh, uh, so here's, I had an experience recently. I want to get your take on. So we have these agreements and you talked about situations where maybe you're in a meeting and somebody mansplains and, and you have to kind of call them out on it. Right. That could be approached in like a hundred different ways. And to you're, you're getting into a whole list of behaviors and tones and how we treat each other and then how certain people react to different types of coaches or feedback. So there's this complex web. But in, in that as well, you have people who have a, um, I, I guess, a predisposition to be either really into the idea of culture or completely opposed to it. So I recently worked with a company and I, as part of our initial culture work together, I decided to sit down and talk with a number of the different employees. And most people were pretty, you know, um, they were into the idea of sitting down and working on this and they were excited to have a voice and a say. Then there were a couple people that basically were like, I really don't just don't care. I just want to come in and do my job. I'm not interested at all. Mm. And when you have people who are, you know, withholding themselves from being included in the process of the culture, they are still obviously part of the culture by behaving in that way. How, how do you go about working with people who may be resistant to the idea of their contributions in company culture or even working with people in kind of meeting them where they are so that they don't become a drain on the company. Yeah. You know, I think the big thing there for me is that like, and and I think this might be the difference between the way like I work with people and and maybe some other culture folks out there in the world is I, I always focus on what's the business issue. So if somebody calls me and says like, Oh, we want you to come in and work on, uh, help us work on culture. 
I would say, great, well, let's tell me what's happening because you haven't worked on culture. Like what's mm-hmm. the actual thing? And if people, people want to talk about like, well, we don't have our values written. Okay. Well, why do you need them? What do you yeah. hope that gets you? What are you not getting today that you hope it gets you? And when you start to do that, you start to uncover, and, and I'll do it with all kinds of people in the organization. You start to uncover like what's really going on. And often that thing is impacting everybody. And so it comes down to whether, you know, if we're asking someone to change the way they behave every day, then we really need to look at, well, how long are they behaving that way? And what has been the benefit of it? And are you willing as an organization to say goodbye to that person? If, if you come up and you say, okay, these are the new agreements. This is how we're going to be. This is who we want to be. This is what we are at our best. And that person isn't willing to partake. Are you going to say goodbye to them? Because if not, don't put that document out. Like, do not put those agreements out if you're not willing to hold everybody accountable for it. And so I would say one, by listening more in the beginning, by really going and listening to like what's going on for those people, including the person who's like, I'm not into this culture thing. Uh, Great. Like, don't make them sit down and be part of writing the values. Like, find other ways to include them. Find other ways to go. I had this recently. I went, there was somebody like that on on an executive team. And I was like, oh, cool. Let's go to coffee. I want to hear like, what your take is on what's going on in the company. I didn't say, let's have a culture assessment. I'd like to assess the culture. <laughs> no, yeah. I went to like, what's working? What's not working? How do you all work together? Where do you get stuck? Like, what drives you crazy? What are you worried about? And in that came all this useful stuff that then I could use. It's the same thing for, you know, you and I are both, are both uh, public speakers, professional speakers, if you will. And it's the same thing that we need to do when we get in front of an audience. We need to think about what's their current point of view right now. Like, why is my message helpful? And if I just get up there and say, here's all my stuff, take it, take it, take it. Uh, maybe I'm, I'm a good performer so I can pull it off, but I'm not changing that person. Versus if I can say, I know what the world looks like to you. I know what you're thinking about and I know what your, your desires are. Then they're enrolled. And I think you could do the same thing when you find somebody in a culture who's like, eh, I don't really want to sit down and like kumbaya with everybody. Well, they still come to work and they still have input. So find a way to get it. I got you. I dig that. All right. So point I want to end on for all the people relative to company culture. And I think this is the big one, which is what's the real benefit, right? Like we, we, we've been talking through how to do it, but you know, why does anybody need to do it at all? Why does somebody need to pick up a book like one of yours or maybe one of Simon Sinek's or any of the different things about how a company operates? Why does it even matter? Does it impact the bottom line at all? Does it fix things? Does it make people happier come to work? What's, what's the real reason why company culture even matters in the first place? Yeah, I'm, I'm happy you asked. I started the book with that. Chapter two is all about like reaping the benefits of company culture. So whenever people, whenever people think about it and think of it as like a fluffy thing, I always say, okay, well, tell me the business problem. That's why I always start there. I never start with, well, people here are sad or disengaged. Okay, well, fine, whatever. What is sad and disengaged making happen? And then we start to uncover, well, they don't show up to meetings, like, like they're in the meeting, but they left, you know, their spirit somewhere else. Okay. Well, who cares? Why do you care about that? Like what, what's going on because they didn't show up in meetings. Are you really just that into like, you know, you want to namaste together or what's happening? Cause they didn't come to meeting. Well, we're not getting these ideas. Oh, well, what's happening? Cause you're not getting the ideas. Well, we're not launching new products. We're not uh, getting innovation. We're not, um, you know, we're not solving customer problems quickly enough. We hear when people leave the organization, they had some genius idea that they took to another company. Oh, okay. Well, why do you think that happens? Why do you think they don't speak up in a meeting? Well, you know, maybe they don't feel comfortable. Maybe this, maybe that. Great. So do you say, do you think you have a culture where people don't feel like they can bring their best ideas to a meeting? You know what? Yeah, we do have that. Perfect. Let's work on it. So for me, 
the very specific things that happen are sales. You know, if you've got a sales team, if you are, uh, if you're inside sales, outside sales, consultative sales, whatever kind of sales you want, culture impacts that. If people come to work and they say, this place blows, uh, I don't want to be here. I don't like this. Then that's going to impact your sales. People aren't going to get into it. Um, and your customers are going to tell it eventually profits, you know, people, people recognizing opportunities and bringing the idea to say, Ooh, I thought of this really cool thing. I was watching something and I thought, what if we did that? You know, I do a lot of, uh, the last episode we did, we talked about improv a lot. And so I bring a lot of improvisational ideas, the idea of saying yes. And well, what would happen in meetings and brainstorms if more people said yes. And would you come up with new solutions maybe? And could you sell those? Probably. So there's profitability. Um, people giving discretionary effort. So somebody coming to work and saying, I got to be here till five. I'm just going to do my thing and clock out versus people that are so fired up that they're like, Ooh, I'm looking for stuff. I'm hunting things down. Um, keeping the great talent so they don't leave and go to the other place to take their great ideas. Uh, being able to recruit great talent to your team because you're known as a great collaborative place to work. So uh, productivity gets better. Brand affinity gets better. I mean, I could go on and on on this stuff, but ultimately, you know, there's, there's that famous Peter Drucker saying, and I opened the book with this, of culture eats strategy for breakfast. And I think he's right, but I think he missed something. I think culture eats whatever the hell it wants and it does not ask politely for seconds. I dig it. It sounds a lot to me as I visualize this in my head that you you took culture from being a destination to being a tool to the business destination. So you've really you moved it further down where people are trying to get there as opposed to using it to get there. I love that's going to be my new brand slogan. That's genius, dude. You should run an agency or something. Hey, <laughs> great idea. Yeah, well, that's I- exactly it. The the culture is not the map dot on the GPS. It's merely uh, choices you can make along the way to get there. Yeah. It's like how I look at social media. Like you're not trying to get to be good at social media. If you're good at social media, you can accomplish a business objective. Like it's, it's just a tool. Um, so I I really like the way that you've, uh, you've framed all this. I think this is all excellent information. I think our listeners who are not dummies should still pick up your book, uh, and give it a look, um, as well as follow you in all the different places, tell them where they can go and do that. I'm very easy to find. I am Mike Ganino, G-A-N-I-N-O, um, all across the webs and social. So you can find me on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, uh, and the internet at MikeGanino.com. And uh, I'd love to, to keep chatting. New website forthcoming. Coming soon. Yeah. We'll put all that stuff in the show notes. Uh, as always, it is a pleasure talking to you. You are a man filled with amazing brain stuff and great hair. So uh, thanks for coming on again, BFF. I'm, I'm glad we can make this happen. Thanks for having I'm going to go look up uh, our, our Italy trip, dude. Thank you. <laughs> Solid. Everyone uh, that was listening, we really appreciate you coming back for seconds. And uh, if I had to call this episode anything, Mike, what do you think I would say it is? Oh my gosh. I have so many ideas. I would call it um, brocation. I would call it um, bromancing the stone. I would call it. Uh, I would call it tearing up my heart. I got a good one. Check Tell this. Me. Here's it. I would say that it's shareable. <laughs> Wait, the show's not over yet. I have some important announcements. If you made it this far, you're clearly a dedicated fan or you're in the middle of vacuuming and just haven't hit stop on your podcasting app. Whatever the case, we want to thank you. We're not just music to your ears, we're music to your inbox. If you subscribe to our email list at sharablepodcast.com slash subscribe, not only will you get access to our private Facebook group, you'll also get all of our blog posts, newsletters, special announcements, and more. 
you won't find any of that in your podcast feed. You can follow the show at shareable underscore pod on Twitter and just shareable podcast on everything else. You can find Jeff online at jeffgibber.com and you can connect with me on Twitter at Caroline Stone because I don't have a website yet. So go ahead, call us, leave a message, subscribe to our list, leave a rating, review us on iTunes, tell a friend, tell your mom. If she's like my mom, she'll love it. And now for the thank you portion to all the folks that make this podcast possible, shout out to DJ Quads for the use of our theme song, Always, and Ahimitsu for the use of our outro song, Adventures. And a big thank you to Ray Bueno for all of that sexy production value and our lovely intern, Natalie, who helps me put the show together every week.